This is the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. This time we're talking about Wheel of Time, Episode 4, Dragon Reborn. I can hear them when I channel. All of them. Whispers of a thousand dragons that preceded me, a thousand lives. I've led. And they're teaching me how to do better this time. Isn't that why the wheel turns our spirits out again and again? To learn. Welcome back, fellow wheelers. This is the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about episode four, Dragon Reborn, and I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Welcome back, Derek. Uh, I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, and we have let you escape from your Aes Sedai captivity for those two episodes. But aren't you proud? Are you proud of us? Myself and John kept it... <laughs> 80% on track for majority. Good. Yeah. We, we mentioned on the last episodes that um, this is the first time you guys have recorded together on a podcast since probably Daredevil. Um, yeah. Which is at least five years. Oh, it's ages ago. Yeah, so, it's like two cats. You can't have two alpha cats in a room. We're both <laughs> vying for, like, two clown cats, actually. Right. Both <laughs> vying for laughs. I, think, I know clown fish. I don't know clown cats. Yeah, they're the funny-looking ones. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you did a great job. Um, delighted I got to learn loads uh, about the show uh, from your knowledge, Chris, particularly from the from book knowledge and John's knowledge of uh, of the earlier books. Your discussions are really good, so I actually right. got to learn loads. Yeah, we've not done too badly, really, have we, to be honest? Um, yeah. yeah. It was pretty good. Thank you very much for taking over for me when I had to go out to work. Uh, Chris actually <laughs> took over my seat. In my office, not only do it's very warm, it's very warm, it stays warm for days after I'm it here. It does, uh, yeah, yeah, but, and coffee stained. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, but let's get into our discussion about episode four of The Wheel of Time. Um, really looking forward to discussing this one. This is the uh, longest episode so far uh, of the show, it's just over an hour long. But the series being eight episodes, you kind of have to have some uh, nice long episodes as well, uh, throughout it. But uh, lots and lots to discuss on this one. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, you could subscribe to it by going to tvpodcastindustries.com where you'll get access to all of our podcasts, all 628 of them so far, um, including the show that we're covering uh, from this week, which is Hawkeye, Marvel's Hawkeye. Uh, we're covering that and Wheel of Time every week um, from now until Christmas, basically, right? It's like an early Christmas present for me. It really is. Yeah, it's pretty, good. it's pretty good. And we do want to hear your thoughts about any of the shows that we're covering. You can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any thoughts that you have on either Hawkeye or Wheel of Time or any of the shows that we've covered um, so far over the last six years. Sure, why not? Yeah, go on. Like it, it, go on. It will keep you going over the, the, the wee winter hours as we toil away into, I don't know, even wee wheelier hours. See what I did there? Kind no. of. 
Kind of. <laughs> Maybe. Wheel <laughs> As you weave away the wheel hours. Okay. There we go. All right. Good stuff. Uh, you can also join us over at our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries if you want to get in contact with us directly or any of the other listeners and wheelers of Wheel of Time. Uh, you can get us over there. Uh, let's get into the episode. The First up, the episode details. Uh, this is, of course, based on the book series by Robert Jordan. Um, showrunner for the show is Rafe Lee Judkins. And the episode here was written by Dave Hill. Uh, he was a staff writer on all episodes of season five of Game of Thrones, wrote an episode of season six, two in season seven, and the premiere of the final season named Winterfell, which I think we all remember because everybody was gearing up for the eighth and final season of Game of Thrones. I think we all remember that first episode big being time. a yeah. big one. Um, I will come out right now and say that I do feel this episode is the one that felt most like an episode of Game of Thrones. Yes. It felt like it had that really good way that they that they followed multiple groups and had lots of exposition in each of the groups and lots of events happening with each of the groups and ended with a massive battle at the end. It uh, felt yeah. very Game of Thrones. And a little bit of tamous exposition in mm-hmm. the sense <laughs> of uh, sort of highlighting the bond between uh, the Aes Sedai and their warder, or warders in, in this case. Yes. That's very true. We've gone from slap and tickle to rumpy pumpy very quickly. <laughs> yes, we did. From the intrigue aspects of like the Aes Sedai and the in and out of their political machinations mm-hmm. across the Ajais down to, as John said, the, the, the sexual innuendo just that is kind of there around the warders and, oh, they all have a bond as mm-hmm. the three return up to the kind of their tent, retire to their tent. Um, I'm liking the, the different takes that the different writers are bringing. You can feel some of the different elements being brought in from each of the different writers so that when they do have these kind of episodes, you can feel this is a bit more political kind of exposition wires you can feel others are very much okay let's go on the journey one where it's the 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 chase across or the the, the, the it was the chase of the trunks yeah across from across a kind of white bridge or two white bridge yeah I, I think you can certainly see from this episode why dave hill would be brought on board uh for us now of course it's a there's a writer's room so everybody's involved i know the the clarkson twins who you guys mentioned last week who wrote episode three and um, they kind of have the overarching uh, storyline and then Rafe Lee Judkins being the showrunner is the is the one that keeps everything on track to yeah. the, the vision that he has for the show as well so and they're all based on books as well so uh, so he knows pretty much the plan uh, for all 15 <laughs> seasons of the show or seven seasons of the show as, as has been projected uh, the episode again is directed by Wayne Yip who directed episode three uh, Chris you did a great job uh, explaining all the stuff that he's done uh, in the past last week um, along with the upcoming Lord of the Rings TV show which we'll be covering uh, next year as well but John do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode of Wheel of Time, episode 4 Dragon Reborn. Sure. At a camp on the way to Tarvalon, the self-proclaimed Dragon Reborn Loghain Albar is under the control of the Aes Sedai but his power is such that two Aes Sedai must work together taking turns to use the true source to bind him. But on his rise to prominence, Loghain has grown his followers across the land with promises of making the world a better place. The Aes Sedai debate what to do with Loghain, while the Red Sedai believe they should punish Loghain now, stripping him of his contact to the One Power, Moraine struggles with uncertainty about the path forward with this newly proclaimed dragon. While the warders catch up with one another, Lan struggles to understand their new companion, 
and Nynaeve just tries to keep her head down as she is surrounded by the Aesid Eye and their warders. Perrin and Egwene embark in a new direction on the plains of Camelin with the Tawathan and learn more about their ways, culture and history. On the road east, pursued by a fade, Rand, Matt and Tom seek shelter and rest from a family at a farmstead. Offered the bomb for the night, Rand begins to worry about Matt's behaviour. In the middle of the night, Rand awakens to find Matt missing from his bed. Searching for him, Rand finds Matt in the farmhouse out of sorts with his dagger drawn and surrounded by the dead bodies of the farmer and his family. But they are not alone. The Fade is also there and seeks to claim his prey for his master. As the blackness recedes from around Matt's lips, Rand drags him from the danger. While Tom fights the Fade, Rand and Matt escape to safety. Just as the camp comes under attack from Legain's followers to rescue him, and with the Aes Sedai tiring from the effort to bind him, Legain manages to use the true source to break free of his prison. He is confronted by Moraine, who still doubts that he is the dragon, and manages to delay him long enough for her sisters to restrict him once again, but not before Kareen, one of the Aes Sedai, is killed by his power. Sensing this death, the warders and other Aes Sedai rush to assist them and contain Legain, but his power is too great and he bursts out from the weave set around him by the Aes Sedai, causing devastation and fatal injuries in their ranks. But at that moment, Nynaeve, trying to save Lan from bleeding out, unleashes a new incredible power on the world. With explosive results. Yes. <laughs> Light of a star or a sun, I think, is what uh, Legain actually says. That's right. Yes. That's right, yeah. Blinding brilliance. Massive power here from uh, from Nynaeve. Uh, yeah. Episode, yeah, really, yeah, really big moment. I love her hair sticking up as well. Like, mm-hmm. it's so, you know, she's just really going for it with all the yeah. effort. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I call one thing quickly out? Um... I just, before we even get into our spokes and our spoiler filled spokes, I want to give massive props to the visual department here. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I, I talked to John about this last week, and I think I kind of mentioned it in the podcast as well. For years, years, I've been imagining how the one power looks, how shielding looks, mm-hmm. how the side in and side on. The, the, the male and female power works. I think they're pronounced differently. I will get that right as soon as they <laughs> fully start talking about it yeah. in the show. But they, how visually they have adapted the look and feel for the oily blackness of the male source and the very pure white fluid kind of air aspect for the female source and mm-hmm. how they channel just spectacular. I can only call it spectacular because for years, especially at the ending where they join and you see this for the first time in visual, in a visual medium, mm-hmm. it it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, not having the history with it, I will say it, it, it is spectacular, even without those uh, yeah. ideas in my head. You get a real good sense of what exactly is going on. Um, we've seen magic before in movies, you know, many, many yeah. times, but, um, this does feel like something unique to this show. It's doing its own thing and uh, really, really good to be able to do that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah really good. Um, but should we get on to the spokes of the wheel, our top spokes? Would you call it the spokes of the week? 
<laughs> spoke of the week, indeed. Yeah, spoke one because I think it links to what you're saying there about mm-hmm. the um the 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 difference of the 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 power when it comes from a man as opposed to how we've seen it deployed by the Aesidai, mm-hmm. and that is spoke one Loghain, how he got here. And where he's at, um, yes, yeah, so a kind of a, a, a little potted history, I guess, of Loghain. Yeah. Uh, because just to come to your point about the, you know, the black and white of that weave and, and the power, although it was really interesting here when we see, um, Loghain and his followers, um, attacking and conquering, um, the, the, the city of Gelden. Um, with with the king, there is a moment where it feels like the weave that he is weaving with his power has elements of white in it, which was really really interesting. Because mm-hmm. for me, this this um really a lot of this in the episode uh, for for this week was was quite new. Um, I hadn't come across it before, uh, and just because you know he does make that really. Uh, nice sort of speech to the king that effectively um, persuades uh, the king of Gaelden to to come on board and yeah. be one of his followers is that, you know, he plans to to bind the world. He, his, his intentions, at least, are not to necessarily break it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's... And he, he, he seems quite conciliatory. You know, you think he's going to turn the dagger of the king the king's own dagger onto him but it, it's just to release it and then he you know he is he seems quite conciliatory it, it this is a really good intro to this character yep. because actually it, it it the rug is pulled immediately you, you think he you know the knife's going to be thrust into the king and um, you know he's certainly using it for his defense and his attack and um, in in attacking the city of guild and uh-huh. but um, I, I really enjoyed this because immediately it, it puts a doubt into your mind as to what he intends to do. And we've heard uh, Moraine say that, you know, the, the dragon could be equally, um, going to, um, mend the world rather than break it or prevent the dark one rather than, uh, effectively go to his side. And, yeah. and interestingly, even at the Acedai camp, there is that, um, the, the, there's a brief conversation between Moraine and I think probably what's described in, in this episode as one of her closest friends in, in the Aes Sedai, uh, the, the Aes Sedai that's in green, um, where she even says, what if the dragon is to, is supposed to be with us, uh, at the end? That he, yeah. he is actually fighting with them. And so I loved this because this completely, uh, dare I say it, broke my expectations. Um, you know, and, and now they'll have to, to bind them back into place as to <laughs> what they will, what, what this means. So yeah. this, this actually, yeah, this was really cool for me, this opening. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, it's a really good storytelling mechanism. You know, we, we always say that it's really important on in movies and TV shows to show, not tell, especially when you've got the amount of exposition this show has to get through. We yeah. were talking about it in episode one, and actually we have a bit of feedback uh, later on about it. We were talking about it in episode one that you came out with the feeling that effectively the dragon needs to be stopped, that the dragon has one purpose, it'll come back, it'll be an enemy effectively. Whereas here it's really clear, shown on screen, that the dragon has a choice. And 
in this case, Loghain is calling himself the dragon and he has a choice here. But I like how difficult that choice is and how it's put on screen. It's got the, what we thought were the voices in his head. We heard the whispers in the past, um, in the show. What we see here is the whispers are kind of personified for Loghain. He's got two personifications over his shoulder, effectively saying, kill the king. Yep. And he has to fight against them the whole time to uphold his ideal that he's going to be the one that will bind the world. So I like that he is saying, I'm going to do the good thing. I'm going to do the right thing. I believe I'm in the right. I can't, I don't have to break the world apart, but actually he's under a hell of a lot of pressure to hold back all those voices that are telling him, kill this person. They're just going to turn on you. They even say they're going to turn on you like your parents did, like your sister did, which makes me feel that this expanded story again is that maybe he listened to those voices in the past and killed his parents and killed his sister is what that feels like from those kind of guiding voices that he's got, but he's pushing them back. He's stopping them. Exactly. Yeah. It's those, it's, it's, it's those voices, you know, chipping away at mm. him over time. And, you know what they say um, about good intentions. So whilst in this moment we see good intentions mm-hmm. and him fighting the the urge to kill the king or whatever, who knows um, if over time that wouldn't ultimately consume him. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah. um, you know, things play out in this episode that suggest otherwise. Yeah, 100%. So... I'm going to piece some bits together for you guys so that to kind of give you a greater kind of view. So we hear it later in the episode, he does explain that the dragons from the past are guiding him. So essentially the voices that he is hearing is what he considers to be the dragons previous. Mm-hmm. Guiding him, teaching him how to use the powers. So the 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 male and female there were the dragons right. in his head. Um, John, into your point about that, you saw some white in the way he weaved the powers. So we have heard in the show how the dark one tainted the male source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So essentially, male and females channel the one source the same way. It is this beautiful white kind of power. The black icky substance is the, the dark one's yeah, taint the on the male yeah. channeling source. Yeah. So you will always see, and that's why I was so, you see this cuts of white when a male ch- channels, mm-hmm. but it's just this, got this horrible icky tar almost like uh, around and on top of it. Right. So you can see the white in the middle. Um, in terms of the visualization of his voices, the personification, that was just, that was spectacular. So cool. It, yeah. it could have gone so wrong yeah. in that you could have had almost like that Venom, like in mm-hmm. like Venom chatting to Eddie in Venom or the second Carnage one as well, mm-hmm. where it was that just kind of like a head attached to kind of some oil kind of going, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. this just looked slick, mm-hmm. but Great! It was just I was so impressed by the kind, just that kind of foot flittering away of it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're right. His choice, his with just that one short, let's say four minute scene, Mm -hmm. they show and tell you a lot. He has his own army. He's spared a king. He's essentially he is hearing voices, Mm -hmm. but he has the ability to not listen to them. He has the ability to defy them. It's not. He and so is he mad though because we saw voices. Yeah. Is is that just him making the voices or is it something more? Mm, 
Yeah, and and you say spare a king, he actually encouraged the king to follow him to join mm-hmm. his own army. It's it's not even that he's just spared him and left him behind. He is now creating his army for every, everybody around him. You know, he says all the right things, which is what makes him a really interesting character in the show. He's saying all of these things, kind of putting doubt on what the Aes Sedai are doing. This yep. idea that the Aes Sedai possibly have just been killing people to stop them getting their power. Um, that potentially maybe if they've let someone live like him and worked with them that we could have had a better world where we he would have healed and bound it is kind of the way yep. he's the way he's saying it i do I, i'm that that you brought up the one thing that was that did confuse me about it because we've heard of the prophecy of the dragon being reborn that thousands of years after the world broke that a dragon will be reborn that's why um moraine is going to find the kids in uh, in their town yet he talks about the fact that there are thousands of dragons from the from history who were giving him guidance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why there are thousands of dragons. So the wheel turns. <laughs> the wheel keeps turning. Yeah. So essentially there is always a dragon or a the the, the prophesized one who will uh, mend or um, break the world. Okay, because yeah. I thought the prophecy was for the one dragon to be reborn to mend the world at this time that we're centered on in the, in the world now. <laughs> the, the way I had... In, kind of taken this was that there was a moment during the the turning of the wheel that a person a male that could channel the source was born reborn um you know reincarnated we we've heard this through the um through the travelers we've heard this from Beltine and the the feast of lights about the souls mm-hmm. coming back into it so that happened yeah. um but the mantle or the title of the dragon was because in this particular instance they were corrupted by the dark one that then and how they chose to use that power and how they chose to 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 use it in the world broke the wheel um but the ultimately you could have moments where and I'm, I, I, I have no idea. This is, you know, like I'm talking thousands of wheel turns back in history where it, it, there's a situation where you have both women and men using the power, um, in a way that's uncorrupted. It, uh-huh. It's that moment where it's corrupted by the dark one and it was taken, the, the choice of the one that was reborn was to side with the dark one and break the wheel uh, and to break the world. And then the mantle of the dragon came. So I I was almost feeling that these thousands of voices would, could have been from any point in history in this world. But, and I, that's also why I thought there was bits of white there was that, those that decided not to side with the Dark One, there was some influence within the one source, the power, still there, speaking to him. I I suppose, yeah, yeah. I I suppose what I mean is this is probably the piece of the story that needs a bit more clarification from me, because it is, you're right, Chris, it is just one line that Loghain says about thousands of voices speaking to him. I don't know what's going to happen to Loghain after this episode now. We'll we'll (laughs) talk about that later on, but... um, but he seems to be saying there are thousands of dragons out there, and it makes you wonder whether all of the people at the Aes Sedai have put on trial and killed who had access to the power, the men and women that took 
the power and could could have potentially become um in their minds working for the dark one that potentially they were all dragons and they're all the ones that were speaking to him but the prophesized one dragon that will stand up and join the dark one is someone that's happening right now you know you even hear from Lan that how could this guy possibly be the dragon reborn because he's at least 10 years older than the than yeah. the other kids that were in two rivers yeah so um We've talked about telling people to go to Amazon Prime, or sorry, going people to Prime Video to go into the X-Ray. On the Prime Video homepage for the Wheel of Time, there is a whole new Explore Lore section. So I'm going to read what it says about the dragon, because I'm afraid that I'm going to give away too much. But this is on in the app. You can read it. Yeah. When you look up the dragon, it says champion of the light or the dark, Mm -hmm. the person who can stand against the dark one if they so choose. There is always a dragon born in every age. Mm -hmm. The last being Louis Therin Talamon, whose hubris led to the tainting of the male half of the one power and resulted in the breaking of the world. This age's dragon often called the dragon reborn could save the world or destroy it. So that's how they're defining the dragon as of right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's what's probably confusing me because I think if I read my uh, my uh, detail correctly on uh, this show, the Wheel of Time, we're only in the third age. So mm-hmm. there's only one born every age. There are the thousands of them. So, <laughs> so there is many potential dragons. <laughs> right. There is only one so dragon. The, so I was right. It's the potential dragons that are speaking to him, and all the ones that have passed. It's not just uh, the main dragons. He age. thinks. Yeah. Now, do remember that we saw at the very opening episode one, mm-hmm. we yeah. saw a main male channeler exactly. talk to his friend. Yeah. And then that friend was poof. The unreliable God. narrator, of course, uh, comes in here. And <laughs> yeah. everybody here is unreliable because we started with the Ace telling us all the history of the world. Yes. And they could be lying as well. So yeah. um, uh, you did mention the um, the Amazon Prime video, Chris, and the behind the scenes stuff. Um, and some of the details that are on there, what they've also put up since uh, the episodes dropped last week, they put up some animated shorts, um, which give lots of interesting history. They're yeah. about, about three to five minutes long, beautiful style of artwork. Actually. Yeah, really cool. Uh, really good voiceovers and, and some more context again. But I suppose as the TV show viewer, because um, I don't have any knowledge of the books, I just think this element needs a little bit more explanation. I'm sure it will be because they've had 15 books to explain it. Uh, so, it will uh, It will be explained in this series. This, yeah. this series? It will be explained in this series. Mm-hmm. No, it will also be explained in this season. It will be explained in yeah. this season. It will... Um, I, yeah. There is a conversation in one of the marketing materials, which I assume is cut from one of the later episodes. So yeah. the assumption is it will be there. And if not... They then filmed a very elaborate conversation <laughs> and then just, just for a marketing material. Yeah. As I say, I'm sure it's upcoming on the show itself. Uh, back to Logan himself. Um, he yes. is way more powerful than uh, anybody that we've seen. He's probably because he's been in control of it. He knows what he's doing. He, he's, uh, he's used to it again, 10 years older than the, uh, than everybody else. That's a potential uh, for the dragon that we've seen so far. But I really love this idea of the Ace of Die, um, keeping him suppressed and needing to have two guards at least every time and making sure that the shield didn't drop effectively when they change over uh, to a new person with Moraine. Uh, comes in and joins them. They have to make sure that there's three people shielding them and then one steps away. Um, great performances from, from each of them, uh, showing that kind of transfer of power and how much, uh, Logan is pushing back against it, even though he looks like he's just sitting there. Yeah. And then the comment from Leandrin saying, that's only him at half power. 
Yeah. And he's still, it's still a struggle for all of us to yeah. keep him back, you know? Yeah. It's really so he good. is one of the most powerful that we've seen to date in this. And one thing I wanted, it's just the, the, the visualization of the shielding. It's, this is a, a big thing from the books, how they cut you off from the source, both male and females. Um, and seeing a shield placed, cause they later on, so in the books, they talk about slamming in the shield. Right. And I was like seeing this at the beginning of this episode, you see this gentle form of a shield just drape over mm. Loghain yeah. and it just then kind of envelops. Like they talk about it kind of snapping in place and being mm. very visceral because essentially it's cutting the channeler off from the power. Yeah. So it's very much as and like almost like a slamming and cutting a source, like a, a, a river off. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, that's very gentle. It's very, oh. It's like, it's like, it's like that, a membrane that they're putting on. Yeah. 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 And it just didn't look it. And it was only later when they threw that slam in, it was like, oh, now you can see these different, they, they chose, they, they chose to like show it just visually differently. Mm-hmm. Cause one was just, I'm just coming in to join my shield, uh, this shield. Whereas the other one was like slamming it in. It was like, Hoo-dunk. and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Cause at the, at the beginning, it's a nest that they're trying to keep him in. It's a, it's yeah. a prison that they're keeping him in. There's a great conversation that's going on between all the Aes Sedai about what should be happening with him. You know, we hear from, um, from Leandrin that effectively she wants to cut him off from the source. Or kill him without trial, basically. It's yeah. kind of what she wants. That's, that's it. Why, why would we even bring him, um, to the White Tower? Uh, we hear a bit about the, the, uh, Amelin seat. Would that be yes. the way they pronounce that's it? That's correct. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of the leader of the Aes Sedai who's given the edict that anybody that is a dragon or anybody that shows power should be brought to the White Tower for a trial. And it seems like uh, Leandrin has been out in the field for way too long because it's kind of, well, I'm not going to walk there and back again. I'm going to go <laughs> kill the person right now because I have my judgment. I've seen that he's got power and he doesn't, he shouldn't have the power. Definitely not a man shouldn't have access to this power. It, it, the, she talks about it with the rest of them. Do you think we're going to be able to keep him here for hundreds and hundreds of miles? without having some kind of incident on the road. Why don't we just do it right now, basically? Um, so they're talking about gentling, which is essentially uh, not killing. Gentling yeah. is just essentially stripping them of their ability to channel. Yeah, got that. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, got that. Sorry if I'm, uh, if I'm um, making it sound more violent than it is. It just it seems like Leandrin is willing to cut him off, I think, because of the other conversation that we hear from Tom later on about... Yeah. Um, about his nephew who was cut off from the source and then killed himself a few yeah. weeks after it happened. I think that's probably why I realize how visceral this is that what they're trying to do is effectively anybody, any man they see with power, they make the decision as to what happens to him, cut him off from the source and he'll probably kill himself or he'll die from being cut off from the source. So you're absolutely right. It is, it is called the, uh, gently. Yes. You know that's the 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 Aesodized PR department. Oh, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> what can we call it? Well, I want to be gentle. Why don't we call it gently? <laughs> <laughs> and, and much more so that we have the the uh, the green Aesodized, which is uh, Karenna, uh, who is totally willing to just go straight back to White Tower. That's the job of mm-hmm. uh, of what they're set to do is to bring um, anybody that that they suspect of being the possible future dragon, take them back to White Tower, follow all, follow all of the. Um, 
instructions and then we hear Moraine, who is the blue eye eye, we hear her looking for more information, which I like. I like that she hasn't kind of made a decision either way, but she seems to be on the on the side of maybe we can use him, maybe we can uh we can work on him, um whoever whichever the dragon is, but she seems to be on the side of let's just interrogate and get more information. She doesn't blindly follow orders as much as yeah. the uh, the green Ace I do and doesn't go off on a half cocked at her own uh, initiative like the red Ace I. I think that's what's really interesting about this whole sort of sequence of them binding the game because mm-hmm. you see the curiosity of Moraine and she's trying to work it out to see whether he really is the true one. Yeah. Um, just, you know, as she joins to take over from one of the Ace I there. Um, you know, she says, it's, it's, I'm experiencing the man's weave. Uh, you know, um, I, I haven't experienced this. You don't get chance to do that. You know, the power that he has or the potential power that he has. Um, I think the, the other Ace Die in the green says it's like holding a cat in a bath. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so even though it looks, and I think this, even though it looks serene, Chris, I don't think it is. It's just, it it's the the battle of I guess the power mm-hmm. um, and it's actually slightly invisible yeah. happening as we see later it seems unless that kind of net sort of visualization of them binding um, Legain isn't tight to his body mm. then he can still weave the power of the yeah. one source and yeah. um, so like it, it is really very cool I, I like how you know, this power is depicted, but also restrained and contained. I both at, yeah. at the same time, because you do just get the sense actually that Legain is, is waiting actually that yep. yeah, you, you don't really get the sense that he feels it, that there's too much to worry about here. Yeah. But if I, I suppose that the reason why it sounds like Leandre is saying, um, he's at half power. It's that, yes, he's waiting, but if half his power happens to be able to take out the net that's over him, he'll, he'll take the opportunity as well. You know, he's not fighting back, but half of his power is directed towards pushing back against this net. And if it happens to break because they haven't uh, created the seal properly, of course, he'll, he'll walk away or he'll, he'll attack. Um, but yeah, just back on the actual, in, in the kind of fight between the Ace and I and who they are, what I like about Moraine effectively, remember, all of them have been trained with this knowledge that sometime in the future, this person will come back. I love for Moraine that it's kind of, well, if I have the opportunity to see this person and learn about them, I'm absolutely going to take that opportunity. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to stick, you know, a bag over their head and drag them to the white tower without, you know, really finding out. It's like thinking there's some kind of rock star in your midst. You're not going (laughs) to not go and ask a question, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they've been taught about it for, for, for a millennia. They've been taught about this idea of someone going back. So why not investigate and get a bit of information about it? Well, it's to Leandrin's point when she's um, talking with Nynaeve, Mm. you know, it's almost, most Moraine is like the Secret Service. Um, she is collecting the information mm-hmm. uh, because knowledge is power, and that can be then deployed by the Ace Sedai in this this you know forever war, effectively. And um, so that's what I like about it. Is you see, she's operating just differently you know leandrin's very direct um she is action moraine is about holding back almost 
being aloof and being quite secretive mm-hmm. or as as they say on you know she she barely talks and um, you know how can i get to know her when yeah. she doesn't even talk you know it's very guarded from moraine and, and yeah. that is it like the like I've always thought, this kind of keeper of secrets, she knows a lot but doesn't give it up. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah absolutely. Why would you give up the power? Should we talk a little bit about the warders here? Uh, we find out quite a lot about them uh, in this episode and, and a bit more about their connection to their um, to their Aes Sedai as well. More, um, <laughs> yes, a lot yes more we do. Yeah, um, I think the the best explanation, I think, after a lot of kind of conversations and a lot of uh, a lot of naive not understanding what the relationship is, uh, one of them says it's not like parent and child; it's husband and wife. Um, they it's are bound more together. than that. It's husband, husband, and wife uh, in some way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought they were saying the bond was even stronger. Like this, was, it is. So I mean, yeah. It's um, oh, it's not like parent and child. It's not like husband and wife. It's stronger. Sorry, yes, yeah, absolutely right. That was the yeah. that was the terminology. Yeah. It, it's essentially you to bond with your warder and your uh, Aesodai is to essentially go beyond. So you basically know one another. You mm-hmm. feel their emotions. You know where they are. You if they hurt, you hurt. Yeah, we even um, we even hear from Lan. You know, I, I shouldn't have had a drink tonight because you get all emotional when I have a drink uh, when he's talking to Moraine. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a kind of a, uh, a very much a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it is. It's almost symbiotic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah there's, it's almost telepathic relationship between them. They seem to be able to read each other's pain or empath- empathic relationship. Empathic, yes, the, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's additional benefits that come from as a warder. Yeah, it you seems get, like it. Yeah, <laughs> as a warder, you become um, essentially um, you faster, stronger, mm. um, can heal. You're like more equipped. <laughs> um, you've greater stamina, things <laughs> like that. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, the, obviously, the, the, the Ace Die have a, uh, a companion, a, a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, they're, the, the, the reason, and I'm kind of speaking slightly out of kind of, this is not, this will be explained or has been explained and it is everywhere. It's essentially, it's a, it goes beyond their, the, the three oaths, which is they cannot, Kind of uh, use the one power yeah. uh, as a weapon, uh, unless in defense of so that's being dark explained. One. And yes, yeah. it has. Yeah. So that the three oaths essentially that they can't use their the one power, the mm-hmm. magic, the source, uh, as a weapon. They can't forge weapons from yeah. it. They can use it in defense of their own life mm-hmm. or that of the warders or against the dark one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the only way they could be protected is it like if a bandit came on them is the warder the warder is essentially their walking talking body yeah. bodyguard yeah um but goes beyond that again it's companionship for Absolutely. when they're on the road yeah. uh what you do see and you're kind of you guys will infer and you'll see is red agile no warders mm. they don't have one yeah blue agile other agiles one warder green agile two Two warders, yeah. maybe three warders, five warders, eight warders. Yeah, they are like they. There is definitely different numberings and different mm-hmm. wants for the warders, different beliefs in its power, and you'll see that. And then again, it is slightly inferred that there are some additional benefits as the Agis come and collect their warders as they go to bed. Um, 
I think they're skirting the fact on Moraine and Lan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want to know what you think on that one. They're very close. Um, you know, we saw in the first episode they're they're sharing a bathtub together. So you know they are yep. they are very close. But I I feel it is much more confidant and um and protector between between Lana and Moraine. But they are massively close. I think we'll we'll talk about it again uh, when we get to our final point. Um, the whole idea that with something really bad happening to the Aes Sedai, everybody is kind of aware of it. Yeah, uh, happening at the same time. So that uh, seems to be a connection maybe through the source uh, between them all. But that's kind of it on the first point of Loghain. Let's uh, let's pop on over to one of the other stories uh, in the episode. Um, the Fade, the Farmhouse and the Black Stuff uh, for Ooh. Spoke number two. Um, this is all about all about what's going on with Matt, really, uh, in the episode. And um, he's with Rand and with uh, and with the new, new companion, uh, let's say, Tom. Um, I like that Rand is going. What the hell is this guy going coming along with us for? Uh, that for opening conversation really with uh, with Matt. Um, I love that he questions it and puts a puts a real question to him. You know, I know he did kill the person that was attacking us, but wouldn't that be exactly the way that somebody who wanted to get yeah. the, their trust up would do it? <laughs> someone that was uh, threatening us, you know. Um, so I like that that's still under question uh, in the episode. But yeah, what the heck is going on with Matt here? Well, I, I I love this. I have to say, I love what they've done here with the show, just with the the horse being spooked. It's just a really nice touch, mm. um, because of what I guess dwells within, um, or what has been brought along, um, that is accompanying uh, Matt here. Mm. Um, so have, have like, I read this right? That the city that they were in, that they were being attacked in, which was covered in this black. Let's say the, the evil that was yeah. coming up. Um, Shadow Lagath is that the name of the city? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that city that we're in, where he took the knife from, uh, Matt's the only person that took something from this city. So is that is that what's been brought with him? Is this evil from the yeah. city, uh, and it seems to be but, kind of uh, inside him in some way? Basically, yeah. Basically, um, yes. The, yeah. It's been looking to escape, but it can only escape with something mm-hmm. um and so with matt taking the dagger um i guess yeah yep. the parasite uh, uh, as such um has been able to hitch a ride yeah um but th- you know the the book has a different way of of, of doing that okay. ultimately um you know there is a hoard of treasure and there is a conversation with with um a person okay and um, so the it, it's slightly different but effectively same thing and and there's a story to um this this um this shadow mm. um and uh, i i guess it, it's um an advisor that poisoned the city and the, okay. so a bit worm tonguey in, right. in that sense. And I presume that story will be something that comes out right I now, get, like yeah. what they're doing on here because it's casting doubt on Matt. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. you're wondering whether Matt's maybe being controlled by the Fade since the Fade is in the farmhouse and, and the whole family are found murdered uh, by Rand. He's got the dagger out. Did anybody notice? Was there any blood on the no, dagger? There, 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 there was no um, blood mm-hmm. on, and it, interestingly, that, you know, the the dagger is pointed mm. by Matt um to say I see you yeah um yeah. so it, it's, it's not necessarily the fate yeah. yeah exactly and it it that to me was really suggestive that even though there's the black shadow that 
not entirely happy. This Black Shadow is not entirely happy that the fade is there either. Mm. Um, and I thought that was kind of quite nice. Just, yeah. you know, well, it's, you know, evil darkness. But versus not other evil darkness. Versus other <laughs> evil darkness. Exactly. It's, it's not just simply that they're, they're in, in cahoots with one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I loved how it sort of, they just represented it by it kind of just spilling out the side of his mouth and then kind yeah. of going back in. Um, yeah, Matt, thought, Matt doesn't seem to know anything that's happened. Um, <laughs> he, d- he notices the dead bodies after pointing at the fade with the dagger effectively so and after yeah. the black stuff goes back inside uh, and you well, see that so. with the the vomit um mm. at the horse trough with um the the little uh the little girl from the family as well which i thought was was just really nice in that you know he gets spooked by her but then kind of just becomes the map we know because mm-hmm. it's a it's a young it's it's the young sister of of the of, of the the family here mm-hmm. and he's he's the reminiscing about his two younger sisters from back home so yeah. I, I really like like that that you know he is still there at, at this point um for sure mm-hmm. and um I, I really loved the however brief it was I loved that battle with with the fade um, yeah. from 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 Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the fade catching yeah. that <laughs> dagger in its hand, yeah. um, and I just thought it was really classy, like short and sweet, I guess. Uh, but you kind of get the sense of um, what Tom is up against here, um, and effectively is left to battle it out yeah. uh, as Matt and Rand. Um, run out of the farmhouse and you know you see them sort of escaping on horseback giving it a good gallop um so this was this was really cool for me um as well and i I like the i like the notion being brought in here you know that tom drill is not just a a a a normal or just a glee man is not necessarily um some something that is just simply an entertainer um i I really like you know there's nothing more dangerous than a man who knows the past Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you have the story of as you say his nephew uh owen um and being gentled by the ace to die and he sees that in 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 matt here that's what he is thinking in terms of the the off kilter behavior from matt so mm. uh th- this was really cool i really really enjoyed these little scenes e- even just the the mother and, and the little kid with the bow and arrows popping up behind sort of you know covering off the, the this group of three uh by all angles yeah. as well clever farmer very um i i loved seeing tom's fight yeah. Again, it's the visual representation of what I've read for years, which is Tom, you saw Tom's dagger. We saw it in the very in the last episode where Tom is introduced. The dagger slowly kind of comes out of his pocket, out of sorry his his sleeve. Yeah, he kind of just drips out, uh, and here we see how that is weaponized. So as he kind of flicks his hand forward, he is literally throwing a dagger, and then it's caught, and then he spins them, uh, and that is something that is talked about when in the books quite a lot is how he spins his daggers and he, he like with a, a flourish there gone very much like that kind of street performing kind of like now you see me now you don't right. kind of on the on the daggers yeah um so seeing this was great want to call out one piece 
mm-hmm. before uh, kind of we end this, which is the dream sequence. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Which yeah. is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, again, uh, we see Matt covered in blood mm-hmm. um, as he walks with a dagger in his hand. We see Perrin hammering uh, um, the, the body of his dead wife. Mm-hmm. And we see... Or at least a, Ween, a body, anyway, yeah. A body, but... We, I saw we know it's the dead wife. Yes. Doesn't, who's having the dream. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and then we see Egwene being taken by mm-hmm. the Dark One, or what we consider to be the Dark One right now, the Ember-Eyed Man. Yes. yes. Um, as she calls for Rand, lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, pretty good. Uh, really good shout-out, yeah. That's... Um, that seems to be that's the scene that wakes him up effectively. That yes. dream is what wakes him up yeah. to go and search for Matt. Yeah, um, and the reason I call this out is Rand seems to be the one who is conscious, cognizant of what's happening, mm-hmm. whereas the others are very much in their dreams. Yeah, dream as we've been told in earlier episodes, dreams have meaning. Absolutely. So just watch watch these spaces as these dreams come. Absolutely, and I think uh, most of the time that we've seen dreams, it has been Rand that's been dreaming. We had a, a dream from Perrin uh, in one of the episodes, but Rand mm-hmm. has been the one that's been dreaming. And the fact that he, the dreams themselves are pretty connected to what we know has happened and what's actually going on um, seems like he has some some power in them. So, yeah, really good call-out. Um, yeah, interesting little side story in there. Yeah. Um, and uh, hopefully we're not going to see Matt get worse and worse as the series goes on. hopefully um, we see Tom again. Yes, hopefully. Well, man, a, a Glee man has gone against a fade. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing: is will he survive this? Mm. Um, yeah, because it, it, it's difficult to know. We, yeah. um, you know, the fades are dare I say a cut above um, Trollocs by yep. uh, a, a long shot from yeah. from uh, like my rudimentary understanding. So, uh, Tom needs to be adept with his daggers uh if he's i i would say to get out of there alive and whether he could kill a fade i don't know and so you know it's good stuff again i think this is slightly different from book one from my uh recollection of it um it it's done um in a little bit more of a public place i think in book one okay Okay, and I think that this is the cool thing. This is why I think now they they they've done it the right way, where they're keeping a lot of this so far. They're keeping a lot of the main lore, the main kind of personalities, yeah. the main story beats per se. But they're 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 doing a jazz riff on it, if you will. Yeah, they're adding a few new beats and kind of twisting it and turning it a bit. They're zigging when they should zag, but it's all kind of going to the same place. It's the same. It it's a nice cover song, but it keeps me on my toes as someone who knows every single ending to every single character yeah. to every single piece. Mm. I'm still going. Oh, cool! I like literally I, in that barn scene. I was like, oh, wait, like I just thought this was just a stopover. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh. Oh, I like what you did. Th- I so I kind of appreciating a fine one. I like what you did there, sir. Well yeah. done. Suits <laughs> well, you, sir. That's Suits a you. big benefit, isn't it? When you have the fifteen book series completed, you know, it would be the same way if Game of Thrones had been done after George mm-hmm. R. R. Martin had finished his storyline. You would have known exactly where the, where it was aiming to. You know, in in this case, they have fifteen books. They know where they're aiming towards because it has been completed. But not only that, they have the benefit that. All the books are in the past, whereas the writer didn't. The writer was kind of going, I'm writing the next one, and then the next one, and then I'll change things, and I'll do the next one. So they can actually see everything 
overall complete again, yeah. right? We'll pick these bits here and there and, and put a bit more importance on them in the first season than maybe he put on the first book or in the second book. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. Robert, Robert Jordan's version of that story. So they have the loads of benefits there uh, to adapting well. And I think right now they are adapting uh, quite well from what you guys are saying. Yes, definitely. That's kind of it for our spoke number two. Let's get on to spoke three. Let's go back to the encampment because we have one more major character to talk about uh, and one more massive moment to talk about from the episode. The major character is Nynaeve. Yes. And as you say, John, um, in your note here, we never knew you had it in you. Um, <laughs> a really interesting one. You know, the, we, we talked about the fact that there must be something more powerful about Nynaeve, um, from her appearances so far. She is the, uh, the central wisdom for, uh, for the town of, of, uh, Two Rivers. In the first episode, she does seem to have, uh, some very good tracking abilities, uh, much to the, uh, enjoyment of the, uh, of the warders when she tells them that's how she tracked down Lan, who seems to be quite high up in the warders. They all seem to respect him quite well. But, uh, this young woman has been able to track him all across the forests, get, get some all a good laugh from them. Um, but she seems to be trying to stay clear of everybody in case, she gets shunned, I suppose, would be one of the reasons, or in case she gets um, attacked by any of them, because she yeah. does have that history where her mother or the person that took her in and brought her into being a wisdom was completely shunned by the SDI. So she doesn't like them at all. Uh, yeah. Anyway. She doesn't and, trust them. No, exactly. And it's it's like with the warders, um, you're more fun than you look. Mm -hmm. But then she, <laughs> I, I really like that. But. You know, she still qualifies it, but you serve the the Ace of I, you mm. serve them. So, you know, yeah, you're great. Um, you know, true bros uh, hanging around, right. having a laugh around the campfire. And certainly, you know, taking it out of Lan, I think she's quite happy about that. Uh, and, and getting sort of top billing because she's been able to track him. And, that, you know, yeah. it's really nice. Did she annoy all the warders with that comment? Her saying, you serve the Ace of I? Because... And I know some I come past to take their warders with them, but all of them get up and leave pretty pretty quickly after saying that. Yes. They try to explain who they are and what their position really is. And she, because she's already said, you serve the Aesodai, it seemed to go down quite badly with uh, the people who were laughing and joking with her a second beforehand. They seem to take that as kind of a, a big slight on who they are. Yeah, it, it, it is. And because it's, it's almost like turning around to... I, I suppose almost like Secret Service, I'm going. You serve the president. You serve that regime. It's like no, we're well. It's like saying it to a priest, isn't it? Or yeah, or actually, that's better. I really yeah. like you. You're you're more fun than you look, but you still serve God. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like that's that. a much better I analogy. Guess. Yeah, and it is going to annoy them because they're like, you don't understand what we are. You don't understand who we are. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of predetermined notions, exactly. and that is something that will. We've seen it from episode one. Mm -hmm. There's this mistrust or distrust in the Aes Sedai. And there's also a misunderstanding. Yeah. Like, again, we hear this from the warder. Like, do you know what Aes Sedai means in uh, the old tongue? Mm -hmm. And Nynaeve has no clue. And that's, again, a great kind of learning point for it. Because it's like, no, the Aes Sedai serves all. Mm-hmm. And that's the, 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 you can see the, 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 there's a fleck of admiration there. Yeah. Um, in that, because she's also, she's slowly becoming friends with Lan. Mm -hmm. We see that in there. She knows there's more to him as he performs a ritual, uh, a, a spiritual ritual that kind of honors his dead nation. 
Mm. Although um, we don't know his thoughts of her because <laughs> he says, I know exactly who you are and <laughs> and so on. And then, of course, the the, the camp is, is, is attacked. being attacked. <laughs> um, but certainly, yeah, she is... She seems like she's softened uh, to to Lan yeah. uh, for yeah. sure, and I think there is more of a uh, a mutual respect there for sure. Even though maybe Lan isn't showing it at the moment, or actually can't because of the bond we've talked about previously between um, him and his Aesodai mm. Moraine. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's not that he doesn't, it's just maybe it's difficult for him to show. And of course, he's like very different from some of the other warders. Mm. And, you know, and I guess that's because their warders for the green Aesodai were, you know, there's maybe a lot more stuff going on um, yeah. after hours than it possibly <laughs> than a, a warming bath. Um, you know, True. it's kind of sort of warders being in their sort of late teens and 20s compared to sort of 75 years old kind of thing, you know, I guess. I also really like Leandrel here trying to get info from um, Nynaeve as well. Yeah. And, and Nynaeve's just saying, well, look, let me ask you some questions first. Yeah. And then you don't see the conversation, but they're interrupted uh, by Lan. And she just turns to Lan and says, that woman is a snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, just really reinforcing, um, I, I guess, her, her notions of the Aes Sedai yeah. and, and who they are. So Yeah, I really liked, uh, like Nadiv kind of going, um, when, when Leandro comes up, she goes, oh, I'm, I'm not too sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I can't place your accent. And Nadiv going, well, that's because I haven't spoken to you yet. <laughs> yeah. I can't place my accent. Um, yeah, really good. And... Um, Again, you know, considering Aes Sedai are quite a, a central, powerful group in this in this whole um, in this whole book or it's this whole story, it's quite interesting that you know it's mentioned multiple times that there are thousands of people that follow the game, yet they set down camp and seem to stay there quite a while and be, are quite rested. You know, they've got their all their tents set up with all the food inside, and they seem to be quite surprised by the fact that thousands of people come in to attack them uh, to free their their leader Loghain. Well, I guess there was an yeah. element of arrogance. You know, they, yeah. they say we, we shot some firebolts, you know, and, and they ran off and, ran off, yeah. and, and we, we, we captured Legain whilst yeah. he was sleeping and resting. I mean, they also do say, yeah, they've got people out making sure that they aren't attacked in case they come back. But I, I think there's a, an arrogance there on, on his followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And indeed, probably, um, Loghain as well uh, about how they can control him even mm-hmm. though they know he's powerful and I think that's probably the difference with Moraine is that she doesn't assume anything and mm-hmm. um, she is about getting knowledge to inform her decisions and that's really really um kind of a different process to uh, leandrel who is judge judy and executioner um in, in, in or that's what she wants to be yeah um, and and i we, was laughing about the judge judy and i know executioner, yes uh, and i mean to the point whereby um kareni uh, says you should be the one reminding me of the rules not me um reminding you mm. so you know, maybe as you say, she's been out on the road for a bit too long and um, setting her own rules uh, rather than following the rules of the Amalyn seat um, or even 
dare I say it, um, I don't think she's broken the oaths of the Ace of Eye, but, you know, she's skirting. She's Yes, very much so. She's skirting. And that's what they do. Um, she's liberal interpretation, as a lawyer might say. Right. Yes, yes yeah. very much so on that. Um, the the one thing I'll, I'll, I will say is just with the warders, um, in the books, they, they've kind of played with the age slightly. So Stepin, who is the older warder, was a lot older in the books. He was kind of more grey, that kind of Varen, kind of from the Witcher, kind of that mm-hmm. old grizzled warder type look. Um, so, and this is the guy that's having the conversations with Lan, is training with yes. Lan as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because they were they they trained a lot together yeah. in uh, in the the White Tower and things like. You that. You kind of feel that though. The character feels feels like that, and I, I wonder as we get older. older yeah. um, does it look like people are younger on screen sometimes? You know, like, <laughs> that could be. Like if, you, if you had a sixteen-year-old watching the show and who saw that actor, they'd probably be going, "Wow, he's really old in comparison to some of the younger." He's ones ancient. <laughs> look Maybe at him. It's <laughs> Maybe it's that. Um, but yeah, kind of speaking about them and their connection, I suppose we we do see the death of um, of Karenna, the uh, the green. It's a die that we're introduced to in the episode here. He seemed very measured and seemed like, you know, following the rules. Um, we see Logan breaking out of his, of his bonds effectively. Yeah. And, and she's the one that, that gets killed, uh, in this, in this, um, escape in some sense. Uh, everybody else is being, uh, being, Kept away by Logan's uh, Logan's people and his followers who are fighting them. The battlefield fight works really well. Seeing uh, seeing everybody use their powers in different ways to to hold off the the attack. I thought that was really interesting. Seeing some of the uh, some of the powers there that we got from uh, some of the green uh, Aes Sedai this time, uh, for the most part. Yeah. No. I this for me was. Oh, I use spectacular quite a lot in this episode. <laughs> I apologize. I will get a thesaurus <laughs> for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no, this for me was spectacular because it was a battle scene with like magic power, yeah. but also like verse. So it's a, again, see, we get the understanding of what it's like to fight the battle agi. Yeah. In that they wield the one power as a weapon against the, the dark ones against when their lives are in danger. So you literally, the, one of the first times we see it is when the green agi slams her hand and just explodes like a mine, like way in front of her. And you, I feel like obviously I CGI or stuntmen, but like guy goes flying. Yeah. Like they, they sent a guy on a springboard for a second. <laughs> I was like, that was, oof, that was high up. Um, so really mm-hmm. interesting to see. Yeah. Like that, and then like they visualize the battle well, and I don't mean in the kind of the, yeah, I talked about the spectacular visual effects and the explosions. That's cool. Just that, like, see Nynaeve after stabbing, and she's cower not cowering, but she's like heavily breathing behind the tree as mm-hmm. it kind of goes fuzzy, and you see the kind of slow mo attacks, and just that kind of panic and the heartbeat and the the, the yeah. audio kind of cues that go with the visuals just like that battle sense if that makes sense yeah it feels like a, a world war ii battle that you'd see yes in, in perfect thank you yes yeah it's kind of like i mean this whole sequence for me was brilliant just from the kind of close combat in the trees but then coming back to the game i think that's what mm-hmm. did it for me i think um having 
you know, all this chaos uh, on the battlefield. Um, and then having the events unfold where they're holding Legane. Um, that, you know, his, his escape. I mean, I, I just loved, um, the effect of the, the cage, the actual cage that they have around him as well, melting. Um, and you really get the sense of, okay, this guy really is serious, but you have Moraine arriving for this kind of one to one, you know, and he, yeah. he seems open to it because, Maybe it's a new follower, like we saw at at, at the start, and um, mm-hmm. and but asking the question, how do I know you're the dragon? Um, and then as he describes, she goes, "Your power is but a trickle of what um the the true dragon would unleash." Yeah. And of course, that then you know, seeing him doing what he's doing, you're going, "Well, he's pretty powerful, mm-hmm. pretty powerful." Um, yeah. and and. Even with, um, you know, the, 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 the snafu of the water, I loved the axes getting tainted with the weave. Oh, uh, but you see, you know, he, he takes them all down, yeah. um, yeah. with multiple injuries, absolute havoc, um, happening. Um, yeah, that's the uh, explosion of the axe heads, yeah. which takes every, which hits everybody, yeah. including Lan, who's got, <laughs> has, who slit his throat. And uh, genuinely watching the episode, I was going, wow, I didn't think that character would yeah. be gone that early in the show. I thought Lan was definitely going to be here. Uh, in the series for a lot longer. <laughs> and I was thinking, uh, I, I was basically thinking, do you think Moraine's really annoyed because she's literally just gotten patched up and now she's <laughs> like she, she had the axe handle in her side, um, mm-hmm. and of course then we get the epicness of what Nynaeve does um, uh, and the use of of the one power here, mm. um, which was just phenomenal and okay. You know, you see the the shock. But then the revenge of the, the Ace of Die on Logain once they've been able to sort of contain him again, yeah. effectively, that immolation of his power. Yeah. Um, Wasn't that called out earlier on in the episode from Leandrin that if he attacks them on the road, then they can take, effectively take yeah. their own power into their hands, which is probably how they've explained all the other people that they've taken out on the road. But she did kind of explain that. So I was wondering, is this was a little bit of a setup um, from her, wondering whether she was just engineering this situation so that she could use her power to take him out. Like, did she potentially attract the followers of him to uh, something like that? I was wondering, was there some, mm. was there something that she did yeah. just because she calls that out that, uh, yeah. that she could, they can use their powers if there is an attack. Well, uh, that's it. But, but now Nini's power is a, is a healing power. It's a, it heals everybody in the yeah. room. It, it, it takes that, as you say, the, the axe handle out of the body of Moraine and, and heals her. It heals the shoulder of Leandrin. Unfortunately, too late for, um, for Karenna, who's, who's dead on the ground. But Lan has his neck healed, which he looked like he was very quickly going to bleed out from that. Yeah. So, um, so that's quite an interesting, uh, different power, uh, than what we've seen so far this season. So she is. The, the the fun part we the, we hear Rand ask and Matt ask five yes. question mark yeah. and now we know who the fifth potential dragon reborn is. Mm. It yes. is Nynaeve. She is part of that group, mm-hmm. that five. Um and you it's it's huge. Like her 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 ability to tap into the one power is like as mm-hmm. you said, is like a shining 
a, a shining, brilliant star. Yeah. Uh, and Loghain is pittance in comparison. Yeah. Like, and this has all been brought forward as well. Like, this is, this is virgin territory even for me. Um, so like, this was quite exciting. Yeah. And I, and I that's why I just loved that whole, whole sequence from when the camp was attacked to Loghain being stripped or cut off. Yeah. Um, from from the one power, um, so like yeah, loads going on. I will admit that I I went <gasps> um when the the we saw land bleeding out because Derek and I had had a discussion which was what do you think they'll do? Do you think they'll do anything crazy like kill off a main character from the books mm-hmm. just to keep everyone on their toes? Yeah. And like I was like. When you said that and I saw this, I was like, no, oh my, like, there will be, like, riots in the, in the Wheel of Time streets, if you will. Um, yeah, I think, I think we were talking about the fact that, you know, I, I come from a fandom of, uh, of The Walking Dead, which has been going on for 10 seasons and they killed off a lot of characters early on that show and some of the characters have lived that didn't, uh, go that way in the yeah. books and Game of Thrones definitely did that quite a lot in that show so a lot of things that are based on books they like to twist um things for our for the viewers uh, yeah. to just keep them on their toes and we're early in the first season we're halfway through the first season of, of wheel of time and you may start to learn how they're going to translate the books whether yeah. it'll be that they just pull lots of things forward and shorten down the the time yeah. that things happen or whether they're really going to twist it and go well do you know what would make our story better if we do kill off a major character yeah. which right now that's why it was such a surprise and it didn't happen so uh, so maybe they're just going to play with us uh, throughout the season and maybe they're going to play with the book readers a few times uh, yeah. so it's like he, is he times. dead oh no is she dead no are they dead oh, oh everyone's dead no one's dead no, oh they're, they're all alive come back next week though. Yes. Yeah, you'll find out what happens uh, so maybe that's the way it's going to go uh, anything else on our final spoke for our wheel of this week's time Nothing on this final spoke for me. No, nope, nothing for me. Uh, only other thing that we should mention from the episode is just uh, Agwene and Perrin uh, with the Tuathan. Um, the just because they're still with them and they're uh, they seem to be traveling yeah. along with them. There's not a huge amount that comes out of this, other than just some more details about the traveling folk and who they are. Um, you guys didn't mention it last week. Um, one of our greatest actors from Ireland, uh, Maria Del Kennedy, in the role of the lead uh, member of the Tuathan. Um, she's really recognisable to me because she goes all the way back in, in Irish film uh, history to the wonderful commitments. She was yeah. one of the one of the singers in the commitments, so uh, instantly recognisable when she's on screen. So great to see her uh, in here as the as the lead Tuathan. I think she does have a great conversation with Perrin, um, which does kind of frames another way of looking at the wheel um, and another way of looking at uh, why you would do the things they're doing. You know, we have, they're a very peaceful group um, yep. in, in as, as the traveling folk. And she's explaining that she's not doing it for her people. She's not doing it for anybody else. She's doing it for her daughter who lost her life. And that as the wheel turns, her daughter will be reincarnated and she wants to make sure the world is a better place for her daughter. So I kind of like that explanation and that kind of connection that she has to this religion almost this belief of what the wheel of time does yeah and that i mean that's we, we've heard about the song like uh as as they're they're looking for the song um i i like that um Egwene says well have you not already found it seeing them all sort of yeah, in, yeah, like um, yeah. enjoying themselves yeah. with with the song because yeah that these are the you know they're the peaceful 
the I I guess maybe you could argue idealists in a, in a sense, um, but we get this um, you know the way of the leaf as well, which I really enjoyed actually. Yeah. I, but it's that notion of reincarnation that nothing is truly lost, and um, yeah. it, it is cycling from the growth of the tree, the yeah. dropping of the leaves, and so on. it's it, it's going back into the tree and into the life and to the as you say a new way of framing um the the wheel of time is through the tree of life i yeah. guess um so it, it it's really um a different more earthy way of looking at um this world exactly. which is yeah. really good exactly and, yeah. and you're right i do like that Egwene's kind of pointing out the the nature of the prophecy um which you know you have a prophecy amongst a group of people that says we will find the song that will bring us all together and all these people are traveling across the entirety of the world trying to find the song that will bring people together, yet they're gathering this group of people together as they go. I love that she's kind of going, maybe the prophecy wasn't that every single person in the world will get together, but that you as a group, may, maybe you found the song and you're the ones gathering people to you. I love that. I think that's really yeah. a really nice uh, description. And I like that she gets a bit of a laugh from Aaron uh, when he realizes maybe she's right. Yeah. Um, a lot of important conversations were had on this in very short uh side piece of adventure um they the the discussion on the the the, the song the discussion with Perrin about mm-hmm. taking up a sword and a an axe versus a hammer um lots uh, some could be just dropped easter eggs for long time wheel of time readers there's a lot of discussion about and you'll you'll see this as we kind of get deeper into the the lore and the mythology of this show about predestination prophecy mm-hmm. like the the and as you said like the the question between um well if you're you're looking for the song to bring everyone together but you're through looking you bring everyone together like which came first the chicken or the egg so that kind of, a lot of the things are like, are you pre, if you're predestined to break the world, mm-hmm. can you not break the world and still do it? Yeah. By act, like all these crazy, like it gets into that kind of prophecy, uh, like fun and games. So a lot of interesting conversations had here and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But yeah, totally as a whole, uh, fun as a kind of a, a, a detour before we went back to the main road. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, just one final thing from from me is um, just a shout out for again in that end sequence. I didn't mention it before. Just the the music. I thought it was yeah, really yeah. really uh, epic. Um, I, I just loved the way it sort of connected in. Uh, and I have to say, I loved Nynaeve's, um sort of attitude stir uh, at the end as well, where they <laughs> do a close in. You know. Oh yeah. Um, that's that's twice now and i really really like it it, yeah. it she feel she's on fire and uh, i really like it yeah absolutely and you're totally right the music from lauren balf is fantastic in this episode particularly in that last sequence but um i think they did the music for um his dark materials as well for the bbc oh, wow. production yeah, yeah. Which, yes. is show, which is fabulous yeah. the music for that is, is fantastic as well but um i know one of the things that's really difficult uh for this show is a lot of the themes uh, in the show are sang in the old tongue which is in the books that's the former language of of uh, a lot of the characters um so 
I don't think we'll ever understand what they say, but I love that the attention to detail of, of having, um, these voices singing out in the old tongue, um, throughout all of the, uh, all of the themes that are going on in the background of the show, all the music that's going on in the show. But, um, that's amazing to do that. But like in Lord of the Rings, having songs sung in Elvish or in, uh, or in Dwarvish, uh, probably never going to understand what they say unless somebody gives me a, uh, a well, Google, that's Google Translate yeah. version yeah. Of, of the old tongue. Well, and, <laughs> and speaking of um, old tongue, we we learned that a sedai does mean servants of all that's in, right. yeah. in the old tongue. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I think that's it for all the points and notes and, uh, and everything to talk about from this episode. Overall, I guess we have spoken. Chris, did you enjoy this episode of The Wheel of Time? Yes. Guys, I, I'm pretty sure, like, even if we have, they, they completely mess up an episode, I'm still going to enjoy it on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, for me, this is well crafted, well chosen, the, the, the path they are going from written, breaking the narrative and the story of this book and mm-hmm. kind of this just first book and bringing it together, explaining it in ways that I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. And kind of they're they're breaking it down in a unique way, and I think that's fun for not just my people like myself who are long deep in this book, this series, but I'm starting to see this same f- kind of f- I was going to say fanaticism, but that's incorrect. The same love of the the franchise coming from myself, but also kind of slowly growing in embers in yourself, Derek, and mm-hmm. then like the embers that coming a fire with John, who has read the books and now seeing some of that come alive. Yeah. Um, so really happy to see them do what they are doing here. Yeah, so yes, I do. Excellent. Uh, how, about you, John? how about yourself, John? Uh, what do you think yeah, of this episode? I really, really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've given this four uh, cold chicken dinners out of five. <laughs> um, yeah. Don't go to the the blue Aesodai tent. It's <laughs> it's cold chicken dinners all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, uh, I I, I love this. Um, I kind of wanted to see more of Rand, Tom, uh, and Matt. Mm-hmm. If I'm totally honest, I really love seeing Legain here, and it, it's not. To be honest, I just felt the episode. I wanted it to be longer. Not not <laughs> to take away from uh, Loghain and everything happening at the Ace of Eye camp. I, I, I just really wanted to see more of uh, Rand, uh, Matt and, and Tom as well, because for me, I love that relationship um, that that's there. And one that kind of starts from what we're seeing now. Um, that is, you know, it's a little bit suspicious. It's a bit antagonistic, really. But one that sort of builds... Um, really nicely uh, between um the these characters and so um but i loved what we got um i love seeing uh, matt um and the the black shadow sort of beginning to um sort of exert its influence again just that little bit of de- that detail of having the horses acting up around him mm-hmm. and him not being able to control it. it's just really nice touches that they've got here um, I like finding out more about the Ace Eye and the different colours because um, it's not really something I'd gotten to um, in, in reading of the books. Um, and I thought the game was great. Uh, I'm really hoping it's not the end of him, actually. Um, I thought uh, I want to see more of... Um, Legain Albar because I I think he, he it feels like he puts um a bit of uh Darisea uh 
a stick in the spoke of the wheel, really, of, of what you expect. Um, but I, I just don't know where that's going to go because it was all new to me. So it was a journey of discovery seeing him and mm-hmm. his control of the power, but ultimately effectively going, well, I can do it better than you from Nynaeve. Um, look what I can do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I can heal everyone from a single go and, you know, take you out. So, like, she was mega uh, in this. And... Um, yeah, I just can't wait to see more, actually. Really want to see episode five. So, yeah, four cold chicken dinners out of five. Derek, what did you think of episode four of The Wheel of Time, Dragon Reborn? I love this episode. I thought the structure of how it was how it was presented worked really, really well. The, the fact that you kind of get to sit with characters and learn about them as something massive is going on in the background, you know, Um Loved the idea that we got introduced to Loghain at the end of last episode as this fearsome person that is claiming that he's the Dragon Dragon Reborn. We intro the episode of, with him in this massive city of Gaeldrin, this big white city where there's a huge battle going on. And then by the end of the episode, they pull the rug out from under you. They tell you, he's not the person you should have been concentrating on. It's Nynaeve that you should have been concentrating on. She's the one with the real power here. I thought that was such a great yeah. structure to the episode and a real surprise, you know. I totally expected because they, you know, you don't waste any time on screen when you're spending this kind of money. You really want to make sure you're telling stories that are really important. So to have a whole scene created around him in a massive city at the beginning and then by the end of the episode, effectively right now, the way it looks is he's been depowered, he's been cut off from the source. And we've been told in the episode what happens to somebody who's been cut off from the source. They kill themselves because they can't live anymore with um, having lost that power. So is that the end of the game or not? It might be because we've had that description of him in the episode, or does he regain his connection to the source in the future? So uh, I love that. I love the idea of setting up this massive character and then pulling the rug and going, something else was over here that you weren't paying attention to. <laughs> so a uh, great episode. Really enjoyed it. Looking forward to episode five uh, when it comes out next week. And also just quickly, the King of Gales and that follows Legain mm-hmm. and does ultimately fall on the battlefield in the woods at the Aes Sedai camp. Oh, um, in that battle, you see him sort of coming to his end. Um, so, yeah. Very good. Uh, and the fog of war. Um, I, did, oh, I well. didn't, didn't see that. Um, I think it's time to get over and have a few drinks, guys. Will we go over to our Wheel of Time in quiz? To the pub! Or a in. Wheel of Time yeah, tavern I quiz. I guess there's no pubs or taverns in this one. It's just more sitting around the campfire mm-hmm. and sort of uh, wait, wait, waiting for the pickup, um, I guess, yeah. uh, from our, our local Ace Sedai. What about the stable? Like a barn dance, almost, yes. Yes, we could have a barn dance. or uh, w- w- While you drink, I'll... Shovel out the stable, I suppose. There you yeah. go. There, that'll work. Followed by vomiting in the trough. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. There so it's go. a perfect night out. It's there a you perfect go. night out, yes. <laughs> it is episode four. It's question four of the Wheel of Time. Pub quiz, in quiz, tavern quiz, uh, you name it. Um, but question four. What is the name of the dog that slept on Moraine's bed when she was at the White Tower? Mm. Not her dog, just the dog that slept on her bed. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She I, didn't have a dog. I no. promise, head teacher, um, it wasn't my dog. Exactly. <laughs> John, do you want to get the question one more time? Yes. What is the name of the dog that slept on Moraine's bed when she was at 
the White Tower. Excellent. You can send in your answer to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Just give uh, the question in the subject line and answer away. You can send them in one by one or all together uh, right at the end to be in with a chance for what goodies. <laughs> oh, wheel of time. Yes, goodies. yes. Okay, I, I'm still that used to uh, what uh, as the as the one, and I'm I'm really glad they're removing the from the wheel of time when they short it dead. Short it dead. Uh, well, we we have got a few uh, entrants in so far. If you want to get access to any of the questions or want to see the questions again, either listen to the last three episodes. Of course, you can get them there. Of course, uh, or you can go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and I have a list of the questions up there at the moment. Um. Entry closes for this one on the 31st of December 2021. If you get your uh, all your answers in by that stage, uh, we will pull out a winner of the goodies uh, on our wrap-up yes, session. We will pull uh, the start uh, of January. Yes, we'll pull a Christmas cracker, maybe. One that's left over. Oh, never. Something never out of a stocking, maybe, this time. Who knows? <laughs> Excellent. So get all your entries in, as we said, uh, either weekly or by the end of it, and I'll uh, I'll compile them all for our final wrap-up episode. We have had a little bit of feedback in since we recorded our podcast and, and sent the episodes out there. Uh, our first piece of feedback came in from Lindsay on the Behind the Timeline podcast. She said, what, what's up, TV Podcast Industries? I'm so excited you guys are doing The Wheel of Time. I've read the series many times and I'm loving the show so far. Just some quick feedback for you guys. You have the situation with The Dragon Reborn a little mixed up. It's not that there are two prophesied figures, The Dragon Reborn and someone who can stand against them. Moraine was saying that The Dragon Reborn can stand against The Dark One. Both Moraine and the Dark Friends want to find the Dragon Reborn because he could either be the one to stand against the Dark One and save the world, or join the Dark One and destroy the world. Hope that mm-hmm. helps. I'm excited to see where the show goes and hear your thoughts. Lindsay at Behind the Timeline Podcast. Uh, thanks so much, Lindsay. I think that was just from the first episode where myself and John were talking about uh, how they were describing the um, the Dragon Reborn. But yeah, I, I think I was getting... I think I was getting confused between... The Dragon Reborn and the Dark One. I was mm-hmm. I was making them one in the same thing, and of course they're not. They're they're, no they're different. Yeah. So, yeah. That's okay, John. We I just know. can't let you guys podcast by yourself on this. <laughs> I know more. your 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 sole po- podcasting privileges have been revoked. <laughs> I, I'm off to get uh, my connection to the the one power taken away from me by the. Fandom. <laughs> you are going to be gentled. <laughs> I'm going to be gentled by the fandom. Uh, that, that, that's all. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Um, I think you guys might have either corrected that on, on episode two or three, or as we said, this episode, and episode four. That's very clear exactly what the what the story is yeah we talked about this in the last episode uh when we have dana the dark friend um who is essentially tells rand and matt this um she basically kind of gives that information and again later on in this episode we kind of it's explained more um and i think there's going to be a lot of these like fun fact for years because my first reading was uh, years and years and years ago, I used to call Dark Friends Dark Fiends. Oh, yes. So, periodically, throughout this podcast, I will every now and again go, and the Dark Fiend said this, and there, you can now, in, anytime I do that, and Derek misses a journal and edit, because mm-hmm. he doesn't need to edit every single word I say, just insert 
Dark friend. Thank you. Excellent. Go. I'll have to edit lots of those then, Chris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to a bit more feedback. Dr. Bob Phillips uh, has listened to our episode two uh, podcast. I'm going to read this one because it's compliments to you guys. So I'll ah. pretend I'm Dr. Ah, Bob. That's nice. uh, he says, well done to the uncontrollable two. <laughs> you managed to keep it together without Derek and having only the usual number of diversions. Wondering again about the jumps into the moat river and thinking, I'm sure Tom Daly went deeper into the pool when he dived from the scary concrete board. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an Olympian, trains, trained for that for all of his life, and agreed basically pushed into a river in the first one and uh, had to jump off uh, off the side of a castle uh, with Perrin beside her. So I think they did a pretty good job. I'd be yeah. pretty terrified. No. But yeah, Tom Daly is uh, understandably yeah, got that gold medal for his massive jumps. Yes, he certainly does go deeper into the pool for sure. Thank you so much, Dr. Bob. Um, yes. And yes, uh, only the usual number of diversions. That is a massive compliment. That is, yeah. <laughs> the two of us probably went on, I don't know how many kind of diversions before the podcast, so we kept it succinct. Can you imagine for... if we weren't conscious of that? How <laughs> we would have, uh, dare I say it, rambled and rambled and rambled. Can you imagine? It would have been the first five-hour-long podcast we <laughs> exactly. ever did. <laughs> yes, we were free from the red acid eye in Derek enforcing. Uh, yeah. I think what you'll actually find, Dr. Bob, if I, if I do release the actual recording, there were way more diversions. I just cut it down to the... <laughs> <end of three. laughs> uh, yes, that's uh, no, don't say that. Now you make us look bad. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Bob. Yes, thanks, Dr. Bob. A little bit of a break. The episode's now out and we have some more feedback from our wonderful fellow wheelies. Dr. Bob has some thoughts about episode four. He says, thank you, General Green Sedai, for having some sense of order and structure in the camp. Sorry you had to get blasted. Really like the way they're building the lore around the Aes Sedai and the traveling pacifists. The peace and work is as valued as the joy and dance. I really like that. We also wondered, in the blast as bright as the sun, if all five have an aspect of the dragon and only by combining Dreadful Dagger Boy, Muckraker Prince, Anvil Brooder, Braided Hermione and the Caged Tiger, will we be able to see how the wheel is turned? Oh, I like that idea. Mm. Yes. Uh, kind of uh, the A-team, effectively, or the yeah. I-team. <laughs> the I-Sedai team. The I-Sedai <laughs> team. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really interesting thing, that yeah. it's by, by our powers combined. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking because we grew up in the 80s and had lots of, uh, lots of cartoons that had uh, five people with aspects of a power and you combine them all together to become Voltron or something like that. That's probably where, uh, where that comes from. But really interesting idea, yeah, because everybody seems to have a little bit of power. Um, obviously, Agwene in this episode has massive amounts of power in comparison to what we've seen from the others, but they all have a, have a seem to have something about yeah. them. Yeah, definitely. Mm, that could be interesting to see. Well, they're uh, all dreamers, aren't they? Well, yes. Aren't we all, John? Aren't we all? Yes, indeed. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Bob. Yeah, thanks, uh, Dr. Bob. Uh, Jamie Lawson says, Binge watch the first three, really enjoying the show. Being a Dungeons & Dragons player for many years, this show hits home for me. I will now try to recap each episode with a Dungeons & Dragons adage. Episode 1. Your basic Dungeons & Dragons 101. In combat, always take out the magic user first, or it will hurt. <laughs> True. Episode 2. Never split the party up. Mm -hmm. And episode three, in the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons, bards are now very cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You yes. see, they are respecting the traditions of Dungeons and Dragons. I love it. It really is. Uh -huh. It really is. Excellent stuff, Jamie. Thanks so much for the feedback. 
Thanks, Jamie. Dan Lee says, wow, wow, wow. What an ending to episode four. I was going to say it was nice to have a slower paced episode to get to know everyone a bit more, but damn. <laughs> also, I'm starting the official TV podcast industry's Egwene pronunciation scoreboard for you guys. So far, we have Egwen, Egwine, Egwene, Egwene, Egwini. <laughs> I wonder, have we added any more to that in episode four, John? Well, that, we could say eggnog. I think, well, um, you a know, Christmas a, a, a Christmas special. We could, <laughs> we could christen uh, Egwene uh, eggnog. I like Egwini as well. That's probably like the, the, the me cutes kind of version of her name. That sounds like something you would call her. Yeah. Definitely. I did respond to Dan saying that we do have two book readers, Chris and, uh, and John, who've read both books, as we've mentioned multiple times here, but uh, both of them do pronounce most of the names differently. Um, <laughs> and then obviously having the TV show, which pronounces it differently again to what they both expected uh, from, from the book. Uh, I, it was called out to me though, at the back of each of the books, there is a pronunciation guide for each of the character names. So um, maybe we should have had a look at that. Before. Yeah, I don't remember that. And as I said in um, one of the earlier podcasts, it, it's sometimes you'd be reading through and sort of in your mind it would be yeah. because it's like, okay, none of those letters in that order make sense. <laughs> make sense. <laughs> Absolutely. But I always do think it's a, it's a sign that somebody is a reader rather than somebody that watches TV or, um, or listens to uh, audio books or that kind of thing because you've created your own pronunciation from your reading. And that's a really good thing, isn't it? Well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's even like, um, so we're currently uh, covering Hawkeye mm -hmm. as well, and there is Jack Duquesne. Mm -hmm. If I look at his surname, I'm going Jack DeQuence. Yeah, well, exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean... Who knows? Yeah, we had to. Isn't language wonderful? Yes, we had to rewind that part of an episode when someone said his name out loud and write it down phonetically, <laughs> which we do quite <laughs> often. Um, but it's quite difficult, again, with uh, with these names in Wheel of Time because, again, they say them all on the TV show and you guys have come into it with your own perspective of how it was supposed to be pronounced anyway. And so. certainly when the old tongue is being uh -huh. uh, banded around as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Thanks so much for your feedback, Dan. I'm glad yeah. you're enjoying the episodes as well. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Diana Debrine Maskell um, provided feedback. She says, every episode is better than the last. Mm. So much of this episode made me gasp, cry, and goggle in amazement. Egwene and Perrin's story was just lovely, and I hope it offered some comfort to Perrin. I knew Matt's story could turn dark, but it is so heartbreaking to watch. But Nynaeve, wow, is all I can say. I love how much we learned through this episode without getting bogged down. Who needs sex position? There you go. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's what they traded in for Game of Thrones. That's how they got through the first season of uh, world building was literally just put someone on screen naked while you're talking about really deep uh, stuff in the bit from the book mythology. But they don't need to do that in this show. Yeah, so. I mean, the the closest we got was the threesome of the Aesodai, yeah. the green Aesodai. And I that guess. was just suggested. And it was, yes. exactly. Yes. Excellent, Deanna. Again, thank you so much for your feedback. Glad yeah. you're enjoying it. Lovely. Thanks, Deanna. Angie Arhus says, I've not watched the fourth episode of the show yet, but I just wanted to make a comment, listen to the first couple of episodes of the podcast, and I love the name Wheelies for the followers of this show. Oh, done. Thanks, Angie. Excellent stuff. Right. Okay. That, it's official then. Mm -hmm. Angie, you have created the official uh, fellow Wheelies yeah. um, for sure. Because yeah, uh, I think we've been calling them Wheelers at the moment. So, yes. Wheelies, it is oh, okay. from here on in. Sorry. I was, I was mishearing it. I thought you were calling them wheelies as well. I did. No, I did in the first couple. I was right. well. The first one I said 
Dragon That's Reborners right. or Reborn Dragons, That's which right. yeah. is way too complicated. Yeah. Um, John, bad. Bad John <laughs> uh, for coming up with that one. And then, yeah, I said wheelies or wheelers or timers. Right. I was kind of giving a range, but I think we'll stick with wheelies. See, yes. all we needed was one vote to push us over the edge. Exactly. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> Thanks, Angie. We also got in an email from Coffee and Vodka. Uh, Coffee and Vodka says, Greetings, reborn travellers. So, the green Aes Sedai are defenders of humanity. The blue are ambassadors or spies. Mm. And the red are internal affairs or the KGB. There are five possible reborn dragons now. One of them, Loghain, with the abilities to prove it, but who might be a false dragon. The Tinkers are the Amish on wheels who, for all my waiting, have yet to turn into blank. Yes, I think that might be a little bit of a spoiler, so we mm. won't read that out just yet um, because I'm as excited about that uh, as you are, Coffee and Vodka, uh, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um Coffee and Vodka continues, The Gleeman's protection of Rand and Matt, attempt to keep them from the Ace to die, and his suddenly revealed battle prowess seems suspect, which means it isn't, or it is. Mm. Are he and the Fae on first-name terms? And when is Matt going to become Venom? <laughs> Love it. Yes, that is great. Venom makes an introduction into the Wheel of Time. Love it. Oh. Absolutely love it. Not going to lie, when it was mentioned that there were hundreds of miles yet to go, I thought we were in for a drama-tinged slog with very sparse action. But, WTF, Wisdom Nynaeve has a vicious sting and might be a powerful green, or the dragon, or a powerful green dragon, <laughs> while again's now a deflated balloon, mm -hmm. a fantastically packed, well-paced episode. I'd give this, says Coffee and Vodka, five gentle emissions out of five. Did someone fart in the episode? I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> I was, was that silent but deadly? I did read that twice uh, when I was putting the, uh, the feedback together and then realized he means gentling, John. So when, uh, when yes. someone's gentled, yes. there is an emission from <laughs> <laughs> there you go. okay excellent stuff i see base humor comes into my mind <laughs> immediately with that um i think coffee and vodka is certainly um, a higher level in that regard <laughs> yes five gentle emissions out of five peace and take care coffee and vodka thanks so much coffee and vodka mm -hmm. for for that yes the tinkers um certainly um are the Amish on wheels. And yes, I think there is certainly a storyline around that um, involving Perrin, for sure. Yeah. And um, also from the books, there is a another person. I just can't quite remember their name now. Uh, w but I remember loving that whole story. So right. it'll be interesting to see um, if that comes out. Because uh, in episode four, it was really just uh, very passing elements, really, yeah. uh, around the Twathon, uh, the Travellers, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, kind of sort of beating into their, their lore, really, yeah. And, yeah, and, and what they're about. The, yeah, wasn't Chris pointing out that the um, the kind of conversations that they have there are very important, but they may not feel important when you've got just them dropped into an episode like this. Yeah, exactly. And, and and it'd be difficult to, to maybe remember and carry through. Yeah. And, and certainly with Nynaeve, you know, that is a huge new element for me as mm -hmm. well um, with uh, that display. So cool. Um, I do like your description of Vicious Sting. She, I have to say, uh, Nynaeve gives a great 
and sort of side eye look. Yes, she does. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. she yeah. would slay um, in any setting. She certainly would. Certainly would, especially if she was a green dragon uh, like that too. <laughs> Thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Great to hear from you, and great to hear your feedback on the episodes as we go through them. Thanks to everybody who sent us their feedback on episode four and on the previous episodes. You can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any further thoughts. Um, these episodes come out on Saturday at 5 p.m. GMT after the episodes have aired on Thursday night, fr- Friday, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, so if you want to get your thoughts into us, you can send them into us to feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com. Uh, you can also join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Or if you want to talk to us over on Twitter, you can get us at tvpodindustries. We'll be back later this week with our discussions about the first two episodes of Marvel's Hawkeye over on Disney+. And we'll be back next week on our Wheel of Time podcast with episode five, Blood Calls Blood. Mm. Do you think it has like data on the call package too or is it like it just a kind of to like what is the wheel of time kind of call package is like vodafone o2 <laughs> verizon at&t it well it, it would work. be the old dial phone <laughs> it's a wheel, <laughs> need the wheel. yeah exactly yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining us we'll talk to you again next time bye Yes, we are at that point uh, where, you know, there are no beginnings or endings, but this is indeed the end of our glorious podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow wheelers. As always, a pleasure chit-chatting with you and discussing all things wheelie uh, and thwatty. Um, Thank you so much. Keep watching, keep listening, and keep wheeling. Bye. 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 Bye.